Chatelani, and uh, that was the East Eva Storyteller as well. Love drunk. Uh, and speaking of Eva Storyteller, he goes by a new name now. His original official name, Ephraim Bugumba, is in the building. How you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling good, feeling great as well, my brother. How, how you know? Before we even get into things. How I feel going back in time and hearing yourself as Eda storyteller? It's interesting. It's it's definitely different, and you know, it it's just it's good to reflect. You know, see how far things have gone. What did you reflect <laughs> on the most as you was listening? Uh, my songwriting process. It's definitely changed, and you know, just the thought process on what words to put where, what sentiments to share, and all that. Got you. Now, yeah. you changed your name. I did from Eda storyteller to your actual name. Uh, can you explain everybody, you know, why you made the the transition? Yeah, it was it was my becoming, you know. Uh, I just got tired of trying to be uh, something else, so I decided to just be who I am, which is Ephraim Bugumba. Mm, say that one more time for the people. I just wanted to be Ephraim Bugumba. <laughs> <laughs> I love the energy, my brother. Now, you have a very, very interesting story. Like, when I say interesting Chicago, we finna tap into it because... Learning your background and what you went through to even get to the foreground you're on now, I salute you on that. You and the family, first and foremost. So let's actually talk about back before you even made uh, your way to the States. Um, you know, wh where did you stay uh, before you, you landed here in the United States? Yeah, so my um, the journey started in the Democratic Republic of Congo. I was born there. Then I was, I was forced to leave at three years old um, due to war. Um, my family survived a massacre, the 1999 Makobola massacre, where about 600 of my people were murdered. And um, so my family just miraculously uh, made our way south to South Africa. So I stayed in Johannesburg, South Africa for a few years before the United Nations eventually granting us uh, refugee status in the USA in 2012. What was it like? Even the the experience, like the cultural difference, going from where you were to uh, Johannesburg. Um, I just uh, I had no idea what it meant to belong to a place. Mm. Um, so I spent the first. It's after three years old. I spent the next four years moving from country to country and refugee camp to refugee camp. Um, so I was I was used to having to just learn as much as I needed to, then keep it going. When I got to South Africa, I had to somewhat come to a, a stop and start seeing what it meant to live in one place. So that was that was hard um, because you know different cultures, different perspectives. Um, apart from the little I was picking up here, there. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure it was different languages as well. Yes, you all yes, had to adapt yes. to. Had to learn and English. I, one thing I noticed when I went to Ghana. A lot of people speak English yeah. fluently, yes. <laughs> and it blew my mind. Mm -hmm. It blew my mind, and um, I mean, some I also would like to tap into is you said you were in multiple, you know, different refugee camps. Mm -hmm. So you know, us a lot of us being in America, we don't we know a little bit about refugee, but we haven't. Or I'm gonna just speak for myself. I haven't experienced that. So what is it like truly being in a refugee camp? Um, as an as a as a young boy. It was fun, 
because you know you're just free you're running around in refugee tents um you know you're scavenging for food and all that stuff but looking back as an adult it's it's hopelessness you know you you are literally if you watch the movie beast of no of no nation mm-hmm. that feeling of not belonging to any nation not knowing what your tomorrow you would be because a lot of the times some governments just dissolve refugee camps and send everyone in the refugee camp back home um back to wherever they came from sometimes human traffickers just come in and do whatever they want um so as a child yeah it was it was a fun time but i i asked as an adult if i were to go back i'd say it was very scary because here when you when you first said fun my eyes rolled i say well fun that yeah. but after you broke it down this is you know it's more of an understanding cuz it it does sound very scary yeah. um hearing it from the other perspective i'm happy you came you all came out of that man uh I got to give you a round of applause for that because it, it ain't easy coming out of a situation like that and you all made it. And, you know, um, you arrived here at the age of... 16. 16. Was it was it here in Illinois first? or Yes, so I, I landed in Chicago. Then in, this, in a few hours, we went to Charlotte, North Carolina. And then a few hours after that, landed in Mobile, Alabama. So spent about two years in Mobile and my parents were like... Up north, <laughs> so, so we came back and we're uh, we stationed ourselves in the suburbs. Um, but then I I moved here recently. So you had to adapt again, but you were used yeah. to that. Yes, I was. We we were used to adapting. I mean, we were used to blind faith. I'm talking, make make mountains move. You know, mm. move mountains type of faith. Uh, we had no friends or family up north. We just sent my few my uh, three older siblings, my older brother, older sister, another older brother. We just sent them here to scout and then they got jobs got apartments and then drove up here so coming to america what did you have to adapt to the most as far as like america and illinois yes um the biggest thing i had to adapt to was it was the world in general because i was very sheltered by my parents they um they they gave us these morals that governed our lives because those morals are meant to help us survive throughout all the stuff we were experiencing. So when we arrived in the USA, they kind of just let go and they were like, see the world. And then I started seeing that not everyone saw the world from the light that I saw it in. So just the idea of me first was a big one because in the family, uh, my parents would always teach that whatever you're doing is so that you can take care of your siblings. Whatever you're doing is so that you can take care of your friend. You're not doing anything for yourself. And I came to the States, and it's the complete opposite. The world doesn't work like that. It's me first, and then whatever's left over, I give to others. And that has taken me years to get used to. Mm, I mean, in some ways, you know, you continue to be selflessness. Continue to show that, you know, because that's called help and being a genuine good person. You know? <laughs> Don't fall into the Americanized way, my <laughs> yeah. friend. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. And, yes. and another thing that stuck out to me is music has like always been a part of mm-hmm. your family's yes. tradition. Like even through, you know, moving from from place to place, you all will make time to at least, you know, sing to each other. Can you uh, explain that a little bit before I get yes. into this music break? Oh yeah, yes. Uh, we um, no matter what was going on, my parents made it a point together. As we would read some psalms and sing some hymns, so that that was just. 
honestly, the one thing that made sense to me in the world was that music was constant. No matter how bad life was, no matter how hungry we were, if we haven't eaten in days, if we've been running for our lives for the past few hours, when evening would come, before we'd close our eyes, we'd sing some songs and everything would feel better. Everything would just be peaceful. That's the one thing that's always been solid in my existence. So it was almost like um, implanted into my DNA. Look, you... You almost got you just got me emotional. You said even when y'all was running for your lives, mm-hmm. music still held you all together. Yes. Man, um, wow, we got more talks with Ephraim coming y'all way. I mean, I gotta jump into a music break because you brought us this single called Dirty River. And I saw the video and you was literally <laughs> in a dirty river. I was in a dirty river, yes. <laughs> Can you get a backstory yes. on the video? Cause you made uh, it look like you was comfortable, but it looked no, like I was a uncomfortable. Not. I, shout out to my uh to my brother Isaiah Obi, because in the video I'm in a canoe and he's laying down in, in front of me to make sure the canoe doesn't tip over. What? Uh so he spent most of the most of the time we were filming, we were in uh, New Orleans. Um we were in um the Dirty Dales mm. um, in Orleans. And um, we were in, of course, the the swamps and all that. And uh, it was scary. The, the thing was, we asked the, the locals. Like, mm-hmm. my, my good friend, again, shout out, Grayson. Um, he's the guy that, you know, the producer. He produced the whole music video. He filmed it and all that. Um, so he knew the locals. He was very comfortable with the area. And when we got there, I was asking all the people that we encountered, I was like, are we safe? Are there going to be any alligators? It was never a, yeah, you're good. No alligators. So it was, ah, you should be fine. You should be all right. Just just don't don't bother them. They won't bother you. What? And I'm like, what? Why is everyone just comfortably telling us that we might die today? Yeah, that was, that was, that was scary. But... Uh, overall, the music video came out nice. No, it, like I was telling you uh, before we hopped on, it's elegant. Um, it, it's like a, it's cinematic and it's elegant at the same time. And I love how like comfortable you looked, even though you were uncomfortable in that type of situation. I wouldn't have did it, but you did it. <laughs> and I got it loaded up. Y'all don't go nowhere. E-frame, boom, boom. Is, I said it right. Boom, boom, It's in the building with me. Y'all stay tapped in. It's Vocal Radio. Now, you know, I recently played uh, Dirty River. Mm-hmm. I love that record. And I'm going to just throw this out there now. Y'all got to stay tapped in a little later because we got an exclusive the brother them brought. Mm-hmm. He might even play a tune. He got his guitar in the building with us. Uh, do you have a name for your guitar, by the way? No, I don't. Okay, just Fender. Got just, you. Just, just my Fender <laughs> guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you never know what's going to happen in a little bit. You definitely want to stay tapped in and stick around for that as well. But um, back to the music portion of things. Yo, you was on American Idol. I was, 2017. How was that experience? It was mind, it was mind, uh, mind bending. It was very eye opening. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very new to the music industry, and it was it was interesting. I met a lot of really cool people, uh, made some good connections, um, but it was just, I felt like I was just riding a vehicle 
almost mm. you know, until the vehicle the people driving the vehicle were like okay enough bye-bye <laughs> <laughs> drops you off at your stop <laughs> yes and then i came back and started my music career what do you feel like american idol prepped you for regarding your music career the industry you know i had this uh perspective that it was people out there just looking to make your dreams come true but it's a machine and um, everyone is trying to find a way to make a few dollars off of the machine and you know yeah you ain't lying it is a a, a big big crazy machine at that mm -hmm. um i'm happy you maneuvering through this machine you know and tonight you get to. to take the stage and do your thing look as for what this machine created mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh and, and, and you know speaking of uh, of american idol as well do you feel like that helped prepped you to get to where you're at right now as far yes. as like hitting this tiny desk yes, yes stage most definitely um it it was the it was a right stepping stone it was definitely the right stepping stone because i honestly uh as much as i've always wanted to be a musician i i'd never started pursuing a career in music until after American Idol. Why was, I mean, why was that? I don't know. I don't think I ever had, because I, I was trying, I guess I was doing open mics. I was, I was doing all that stuff, but I, I, the possibility of releasing my own song or the possibility of, you know, having a conversation with an executive of a big company about my music it it just never hit my mind until I was on that big stage. I was in that stage where they have the Grammys, and I was like, wow, they hand out Grammys on the stage, and I'm over here with my little guitar just singing in front of these judges. Um, so that was that was eye-opening. It, it Like, I what's the English word? Awoken? Awakened? Mm -hmm. Awakened. It awakened something inside of me. Did any of the judges, do you remember anything from one of the judges that stick with you to this day? Yes, uh, Lionel Richie. What what's some feedback he, he shared said, with you? Um, it's, he's actually the reason why I, I, one of the reasons why I went to Ephraim Bugumba as opposed to the storyteller or Ephraim the story or E the storyteller. I was E the storyteller when I was an American Idol. It was storyteller. Um, and it was cool. I think it had, you know, it was catchy. People liked it. Um, but I remember when I got eliminated, he was like, be you, bring, you know, those drums, those African drums, man, bring them to us. And I was like, okay word and speaking of african drums have you seen the wave that's been coming oh, yeah. from the continent on yes. the sound side mm -hmm. how do you feel about this you know th this influence that we've you know that that um the african i'm just say the sounds of africa yeah. how, how do you feel about that influence finally making its way heavily to yeah. the states i feel like it's nothing new as much as i'm excited about it i feel like it's nothing new I mean, we can talk we can talk blues it was invented by who? By black people who originate from the continent of Africa. So that's a wave. Um, we can talk rock and roll. You know, we can talk R&B. We can talk uh, uh, rap music. All of this came from descendants of the motherland. So I feel like this is just another wave that was necessary. You know, it was only a matter of time before you heard boom, tick. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? I can't stop it. I'm dancing. <laughs> you know, it was only a matter of time. So it's, it's, it's good to see. It's good to see. But I expected it to happen. You know, it's interesting you say that. I play Afro beats when I need to smile or feel good, yeah. and that's a lot. I play mm -hmm. Afro beats a lot in my car, <laughs> and I'm always dancing. And 
I mean, that I feel, I hope that's everybody else, you know, have that same feel when they when they play, you know, the sounds from from Africa as well. And I got to ask you too, like how does the culture of music differ across countries? Yes, I mean, I always say where I come from, no one learns how to sing. You know, I've, I've for the for the first time I I well, I, I started benefiting from it was when I had to teach people how to sing. I was I was shocked. I was like, oh, my God, like I'm teaching someone how to sing. I didn't know that people took dance lessons because where I'm from, people just you just know how to dance. You just know how to sing. I mean, I remember going to uh, primary school. I was like in grade six and the teacher just started singing a song. It was like, hey, mara bi Maravi, and all of a sudden, these sixth graders all knew what harmony was theirs. Mm. You know, the sopranos did their thing, the altos did their things, the tenors did their things. You had the kids, you know, singing bass. Just everyone knew what to do. It was just that natural. Um, coming to the USA, it's like something that you have to teach people how to do. So it's like, I'd say the biggest difference is back at home, it's like, DNA, and then mm-hmm. here it's something you have to kind of re-add because I think just the perspective on life is different too. Yeah, no, that, that's very true. And since we're on the topic of teaching music, you went to school for music uh, manufacturing. Yeah, business uh, bu- music administration, you know, which was a waste of time. What? <laughs> a waste of time. You sure? A waste of time. Well, I mean, yeah. I say you sure because, look, I feel like you're using some type of skill from, you know, from that, I mean, break. I mean, talk about it. Why do you feel like it was a waste of time? Maybe I went to the wrong school. Um, no hate to the school. It was nice. I'm proud to have been a flyer for a little bit. Um, but I felt like they didn't teach me how to. Because um, in, in all honesty, you know, like getting to any place in the music industry comes from relationships. If, if you don't know how to be a people's person you of course have to be good at your art you have to be good you know at what you're doing but if you're not able to meet someone and share your genuine vibe they're not going to want to work with you um most of the opportunities i've gotten have come from just of course being blessed with the talent of music but also being able to make friends Mm -hmm. you know and i felt like all i got from the year of schooling was student loan uh, student loan <laughs> debt. debt. That's, that's all I got from that. You know, they they were teaching me classical music, which is cool. Uh, I, I I picked up some things, but there wasn't a drastic difference from what I was learning in high school and what I was learning in college. I was still, it was classical European music, and I wasn't making. I'm not making classical European music. I'm making you know, soul music. You know. And hearing you say you ain't even feel a change from going from high school to college, yeah, you're supposed to feel a drastic change because now you're really paying that 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 top dollar. Yeah. That's the only change I felt was, was that, that I'm I'm, cha- I'm gonna get so, I'm poor I'm, I'm so poor. <laughs> the change in your pocket, change. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I felt. Uh, I'm gonna um, jump into a quick break. Uh, you know, y'all keep it locked because coming up after the break, uh, we gonna we gonna we gonna let you get down on these strings. You know what I'm saying? And we got sure. this exclusive. Uh, so y'all definitely don't go nowhere. Ephraim Bugumba is in the building. Uh, yeah, it's Vocalo Radio. Hey, what's up? It's SU2, also known as Hannibal Burris, also known as DJ Burgerfee, also known as Wabanja Joe, also known as my mama's youngest son. You're listening to Vocalo Radio 91.1. Public radio, stand up. Please donate. 
<laughs> Chicago, before we get into this exclusive, Ephraim, you ready, my brother? Give him a little yes, taste of what's coming tonight at Sub T. Don't got so much money, but I've got a lot of life to live. Light up a cigarette, pour me another shot of whiskey. Thought that it's toxic that I drink and smoke my pain away. Nobody cares, so listen still, it's too late. In person is y'all better pop out tonight. <laughs> I will tell you that. In person, it is something different. Oh my goodness gracious! Uh, I don't even know what to say behind that, my brother. <laughs> wow, the way you dug deep down inside your gut to bring them high notes out—you got to teach me that one day. <laughs> oh my goodness! I mean, um, yeah, yeah. Tonight you're at Sub T. Uh, let people know how they can find you in general as far as, you know, your, your social handles, website, and thing, things of that nature. Yeah, so um, if you just Google Ephraim Bugumba, uh, my social media stuff should pop up. Otherwise, if you're on TikTok, uh, just look up Ephraim Bugumba, and it'll pop up. Uh, if you're on Instagram, it's Ephraim underscore official. And uh, I'm on Twitter, but I, I normally just read... Uh, about things that make me angry but uh, <laughs> uh I'm, I'm on there too so i i, I share my opinions uh, and my music too um but on twitter it's it's also a frame bugumba and i'll pop up now before we get into this exclusive you describe your life before america and after congo as a life on a run what does this mean for you just living for the next moment you know and in that living for for whatever whatever else would come in your life not really knowing what's going to happen next kind of just being a passenger you know on your own journey type of deal Man. but on a run though you're moving pretty fast yeah, <laughs> yeah with a lot of anxiety and you y'all was moving yeah y'all was moving and again i i apply you all because uh you moved in, in the right direction you know what i'm saying and uh, Chicago, y'all can move on over to Sub T and catch Ephraim, Ephraim live, okay? Because it's going down. I, I want to be in attendance. I might pop in. I might pop in. I might not. You just never know. You just got to get there. 
I know E-Frame going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> and with that being said, let's get into this brand spanking exclusive. It's called Wasting Time. E-Frame, you want to break it down yes. for everybody. Uh, yes, yeah, so this is my next single. It's going to be released at the end of August. It's called Wasting Time, and it's about the push and pull of the beginning of a relationship and, you know, the dreaded talking phase. It's an exclusive, and you're hearing it here first. Ah, holla. Here's new music.